Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Ryan Wallace received his Bachelor's of Fine Arts from the Rhode Island School of Design. He was a 2011 recipient of the Pollock Krasner Foundation grant and has had solo exhibitions in Copenhagen, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. He's also shown work at the Franz Material Center in Belgium and to the Torrance Art Museum in California, the Katzen Art Center in Washington, D.C., and numerous other venues around the world. His work is featured in the public collections of the United States Department of Treasury in Washington, D.C., the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco, and the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, amongst others. Ryan's represented by the Susan Inglet Gallery in New York, the Cooper Cole Gallery in Toronto, and Romer Young Gallery in San Francisco. He's also the co-founder and co-director of the Halsey McKay Gallery in East Hampton. I caught up with him at his current solo show at Susan Inglet Gallery on 24th Street in Chelsea, and we spoke about his past, how he became to where he is today, and his other interests outside of making fine art. Here's our conversation. So, yeah, why don't we kick it off? Do it. I let's, if you don't mind, turning back the, turning back time to go back to okay. you as a youngster. Yes. Where'd you grow up? Connecticut, mostly. In what part of Connecticut? Fairfield County. Don't Darien. know where that. Oh, there. It's so right outside, in the, like New York commuter. Yeah. I was born in the city, moved to Connecticut, moved to the Netherlands for a year, and. Back to the house next door in Connecticut. Are you Dutch? I'm not. My stepdad's job just brought him there at the time. So you spent a year there? A year there, yeah. You don't remember it, right? Not really. I, I remember, like, topless beaches and skateboarding and, like... Wait, how old were you? Third grade. Oh, okay, yeah, that's... That's memory. They had all these like paths through the dunes, and I'd just skateboard through there. That's pretty cool. Not like real skateboarding. Right. Just. Well, what what year? You're just a little bit younger than me, right? Yeah. So I was eight. So that's. Pound Peralta days, right? Yeah. So that's thirty years ago. (laughs) That's crazy. It seems like yesterday. It was the '80s. Yeah, the '80s. Growing up in the '80s. Yeah. So Connecticut. And did, was it a creative household? Yeah, my mom's an artist. Um, yeah, it was. It was encouraged. I did, like, after-school art and stuff. And you had a good art teacher in school? I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a few really good ones, actually. Take a... All right, everything out of elbow. Elbow zone. <laughs> All that coffee's getting you jabbed up. Can't get worse. <laughs> so, grade school, grade good art, school. good art teacher. Good art teachers, um, definitely. Like encouraged, like kind of had it. One of those kids that had a, a knack for it, you know. Yeah. You were and, an advanced. Uh, advanced. Yeah, I could just draw, whatever. 
So technically you were yeah. gifted? Yeah. Were you drawing record covers and stuff? Totally. I feel like that's the yeah. the mark of the gifted. First it was like <laughs> knights and shit. Uh-huh. Like knights and witches' houses. Feudal. Battle scenes. Yeah. yeah. And then definitely skateboard logos, band logos. Right. Megadeth. No? Manetta. No, no metal until later. I was strictly punk. Oh, nice. No metal. Was like Minor Threat stuff? Yeah, Black Flag, Dead Kennedys. Yeah. Your early, Orange. early introduction to Raymond Pettibone. Very early. And everyone. Everyone, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really, it's funny how universal that is. Yeah. And like, uh, I guess it'll, illustration will come in later. But And then like D&D covers and mm-hmm. like, all that type of illustration, like realistic illustration, that was like more in the metal world. Like I was always, I didn't really like Iron Maiden, but like Eddie, yeah, the, that the stuff to me. Thing. It was cool at that age, like that and like Caravaggio is on like the same plane. Right. It all just looks like magic. Yeah. So that definitely was there. Interest in art through that like way first. But your mom was an artist. Yeah, and definitely museums and stuff, but it's harder to... It seems so foreign when you're, like, real little. Right. Museums are just like, eh, whatever. But was she, like, working in a studio where you lived? No, later in high school, yes, but when we were younger, or when I was younger, she was a graphic designer, mm-hmm. and she worked at, like, 13. So she yes. wasn't. You, it's not like you had like a studio around or no, that kind of stuff. Wasn't, no, not at all. You weren't subjected to. No. I'm always curious about people who grew up in with like a parent who has an art studio nearby or like yeah. they're in the studio. No, it wasn't that until later. Until a lot. Maybe even like she, I don't know if she got back into like full studio practice until like I was in college. Was she doing painting or sculpture or painting? Yeah, a lot yeah. of printmaking. Yeah. That's cool. So in high school, you just continued on? Or did you kind of put it to the side? No, high school, I was totally into it. Um, Yeah. Were were your sports there, too? Sports were there, but mostly it was skateboarding and snowboarding. Mm -hmm. And again, kind of still a lot of um, influence from those, and graffiti, from those cultures. But no, I was always into it. I had good teachers. And then, then I did a summer program at RISD, mm-hmm. that like pre-college program. And that, because at the time, like it was so conservative where I grew up that art school was really viewed as like where you went if you just wanted to eat acid and like yeah. not do any work. Right. And that, even though I was totally like a punk skater kid, like that was in my brain that like that wasn't serious and like... I wasn't going to spend a lot of money to go do that bullshit. Yeah. Even though I fucking loved drugs at the time, <laughs> um, but not acid. Uh, and then I did that pre-college program at RISD, mm-hmm. and that I saw kind of what, what it really could be like. The and more I also, serious side of it? Yeah, not... Yeah, just like what a real formal arts education training could be. Yeah. And I also saw... Because I'd never been interested really in graphic design, but all of those things like illustrations in skateboard magazines, in trans world snowboarding, and like 
all of the like album covers I saw first it was the first time I saw it as like a, a thing that mm-hmm. you could study as illustration which I never knew it was like a thing right. you know I just thought it was like painting department yeah and so I got really excited about that so that was the direction you wanted to go in yeah because I could I saw it as like a craft training mm-hmm. that like it was a it was a tangible thing that I could look at as like okay well it's not so far fetched if I'm just like gonna learn this industry yeah and I guess as if when you're younger you're really advanced at draw or you're good at drawing yeah totally There's a credibility to that and I what did want to learn like how to paint the figure and like real kind of technical oil painting skills because I didn't really have that in high school yeah um, and that was always in the illustration department right not in the painting department. Yeah, they don't teach painting in painting. No, they don't. <laughs> They're not going to encumber you with like technical proficiency. No, God no. You have to learn raw creative expression. <laughs> yes. It gets in yeah, the way. Right? Exactly. It gets in the way. But, but the cool thing about RISD where I wound up going was that, and at the time, I didn't like it, but none of the illustration department were really illustrators. There were like a few that were like um, not staff. Yeah. Like Jordan Issop, who was amazing. Um, but for the most part, it was taught by fine artists. Mm-hmm. So that now, looking back, it was like, oh, well, I was taught like a really interesting way of problem solving. And I was taught like proficiency, but that was through like portraiture painting classes. Yeah. And so it turned out good, where like a lot of other schools were run by professional illustrators. And like the kids came out of school with these like really slick, commercially ready portfolios. Yeah. But no, I don't want to say like, I'll just say that it's more understandable that I wound up in fine art coming from RISD than from like another more uh, slick school. Yeah, more conventional maybe. Well, were you, so when you went there, were you exposed to the other side too? I mean, was that of interest? Totally, but I was like pure tunnel vision. Like I really just wanted to get out of school and have a career making money as an illustrator. I want to do a a kind of like a survey of people of a certain age around our age who Uh grew up and became a fine artist. What percentage were involved with skateboarding? Yeah. Or some sort of, or like a certain music. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, I feel like skateboarding culture was a very visual thing. Totally. And at that time, I don't know about you, but I was craving those videos that came out because they were so, they, it was exotic as an East Coast person because usually it was in San Francisco or LA or something. And it was just, there was such a visual content to it that was really intriguing. And all the boards, all the decks had this artwork yeah. that was amazing. It just, it, it kind of like, um, I think it, it piqued my interest in visual culture. For sure. And there were a lot of really good artists at the time yeah. coming out of that. Though I really wanted to distance myself from that because while all those things were so important to me, I never really identified with it as an artist later, yeah. like as I like kind of transitioned um, because I wasn't making stuff that was... Even the illustrative stuff I was making didn't really fit in with that so even though that was like my people and like my scene like I always for some weird reason like kept my works aside from it Mm -hmm. for better or worse I don't know well when you were in school what was the 
what was the projected outcome of what you were going to projected do? outcome like over analyzing it was like okay I'll get out of school I'll like get a job to get this illustration career going that will one day fund like whatever art I decide I want to make whatever that is yeah but I had no like idea how galleries operated or like any of that yeah it was just like a, a weird backwards kind of time frame I had laid out for myself. Yeah, well, one would think that if you go to the art school side of things that you learn something about that process or galleries or the system, I think you don't really... Well, the fine art department, I think, kind of did. Like, people seemed aware of, like, what cool galleries were, or, like, the scene, and, like, I just had no idea. Yeah. Like, peers of mine did, and I'd, like, watch it and go to shows and stuff. It was just, like, not where my head was yeah so you were in Rhode Island in what years Uh, 95 through 99 so that's a good time for music music and art yeah Yeah. and the city it was kind of still a little seedy Mm -hmm. not seedy but I don't know it was the the beginning of the Providence Renaissance or whatever but yeah I was able to go to those like 400 things and yeah a lot of skating and yeah, it was a good time for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like saw early Black Dice shows when Hasham was still in it. Yeah. And then like Wasabi Fab played a lot. Oh, yeah. Or Thunder and like all that was going on. Yeah. So there was a palpable energy. Definitely. It was, yeah. Yeah. So when you were you involved with music at all or just no. to, to, you were kind of just listening? I was just into it. Yeah, yeah. Like I liked, I enjoyed it, but like. Yeah. At the time, I was also, like, more excited by hip-hop, mm-hmm. really. Like, I went to those shows and stuff, because, like, friends were. But, like, yeah, no, my main... In the 90s then, it was, like, it shifted to, like, a lot of hip-hop, really. Yeah. In high school, too, it was, like, hip-hop and punk. No in-between or, like, anything else. Yeah. I mean, that was my... You know, my playlist was a bunch of punk stuff and then Smiths and stuff like that and I couldn't even do the Smiths that was too, until later now that too was poppy. like my favorite band but like yeah, yeah no none, no indie rock no it was like really like just straight r- up real punk. like Stretch and Bobbito arms yeah. stri- uh, hip hop and like straight up punk nice no pop punk <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're a purist yeah yeah okay so maybe we, like Neil Young would be alright for some reason yeah that's there's always the fringe people that yeah. you're allowed to like yeah. Pink Floyd or something like yeah. that that you're just totally into you don't tell yeah. anyone about it's like your secret like you know I taught myself how to play guitar by listening to the Led Zeppelin box set oh, and just yeah. trying to play along with it you know I learned, that, how to, I learned how to play guitar from an Esteban learned to play guitar DVD <laughs> <laughs> I learned like Malaganya first <laughs> Was that on bourbon? Like you? Yeah, it's just yeah. like fuck it. I want to learn how to play guitar, and that's like what they had at Tower Records for like twenty five dollars. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was. Yeah. Just like all right, let's try this with Zorro. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. You know, I, I learned because um, I played other instruments, but it was more like lessons and yeah. learning. And you know, and with guitar, it was kind of like this fun, you know just rock and roll you know you can play yeah. something totally different it doesn't have to be reading sheet music and stuff like that so I think that was my kind of a different kind of creative musical outlet you know but uh, I wouldn't yeah. tell people that I was listening to Zeppelin all the time oh, like, for some funny. reason I had to keep that on the down low 
That's funny. <laughs> Zeppelin, everybody, everybody likes Zeppelin. Yeah, but you know how it, it, in, in courses of time over your life, there's certain things that are yeah. just not, it's when you're young, yeah, yeah. cool to like, you know. I remember going, there was like a cool record store in Darien called Johnny's, and um, it was like a mix of like all punk stuff and like a head shop, so mm-hmm. like those two things, so like... The girl that worked at the counter was totally like a alt girl, like Pixies, like Smith's girl. Yeah. And I remember we like thought each other were cool because I was like a skater kid, but I remember being into like Jimi Hendrix. This is like middle school and she was like, ugh. <laughs> I was like, who doesn't like Jimi Hendrix? She was like, that's like the worst shit. <laughs> you should get this Teenage Fan Club record. Nice. Teenage Fan Bandwagon S. Yeah. It's a great record. It's funny how certain things are just not not cool I'm yeah. sure everyone at, at a certain point who dislikes that or thinks ugh or like later on is like oh no this is actually really good yeah it's pretty hard not yeah. to like Jimmy Hendrix the classics kind of like maintain yeah. so were you still skateboarding when you were in school oh yeah like every day that was like the more than transportation day. just you were doing oh yeah no like actively like yeah yeah well what was it was day. your landscape in Connecticut conducive to I feel like East Coast, it's tough, right? Like, yeah. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I skateboarded all the time, but it was hard because it's a hilly city. Oh. Like, it's not a I mean, it was. Place. I mean, Stamford next door had, like, pretty sweet spots. Um, yeah, no, it was good. There were, like, yeah, it was, like, suburban, but there was totally... There were spots to go? Yeah. Not like today, though, where you have skate parks. No, nothing like today, no. And it's just, there's so many of them now. Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't even really skate transition until college because nobody had a yeah. ramp. Like, who has one? Yeah, you know? yeah. I had friends who would drive all the way near Philadelphia, which is far yeah. from Pittsburgh, just to skate this big ramp. That well, some Philly is like also the best. Yeah, yeah, well, and especially in that time, like that Eastern exposure. Like, yeah, Philly was like kind of the the haven yeah it was a good spot for yeah a lot of people who were good that i grew up with moved to philly because that was the closest you know hub where you could get noticed yeah oh when i was in undergraduate school and you know knew i wanted to be a painter like i had this realization like oh this is what i want to do i love this stuff yeah that's when new york hit my radar i think before that in my life i never even thought of new york whereas like you're you grew up a lot closer yeah, to the city, no, it's so it's in your consciousness. I mean, Metro totally. North is, it's like you can just hop on a train and be down here. But for me, even though it's not that far, it just, I, I never even thought of it. And yeah. then it was like artwork, or, you know, when I started making art and thinking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to have to go. Right. You know, that's the final destination. Yeah, where I, like, knew I couldn't, I came here so much in high school that I knew I couldn't, like, study here. I'd be... Oh, I wouldn't get anything done. So, yeah, like... Especially if you were into, you know, extracurricular activity. Yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was into all that shit. I used to go to, like, Limelight and Tunnel and all that. Hated the music, but it was, like... The scene was fun. It was funny. Like, it was crazy as, like, a 16-year-old kid from Connecticut to come in and, like, see a guy walking around with his dick on a leash. And, like... <laughs> yeah, it was just so nuts. Yeah. Like, yeah. That it was entertaining? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of fun doing all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, people ask, because I went to, you know, university for undergraduate and graduate school. Uh-huh. I never went to art school. Right. But I always imagined if you come to New... Because I had a friend who went to Pratt yeah. when I was an undergrad, and I came to visit him. 
He lived in Williamsburg in the early 90s. Uh-huh. And it was a lot different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, these dudes, I mean, like art school just seemed like a place where you just, in the city, you're just partaking in the city. Like, yeah, The totally. art was like happening parallel to that, but you were really just on this wild ride of like living in New York. Yeah, and I knew, I mean, yeah, I knew that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do well in that environment at that age. Yeah. Let alone be very productive in your learning yeah. artwork. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no way. And, but RISD was the only art school that I applied to. I applied to all liberal art schools with mm-hmm. good art programs. Yeah. But then that pre-college thing, I was like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that. It fast-tracked you? Yeah. Because you had a good experience, so you thought... Yeah, it was great. It was really great. Yeah. So you had a good experience at RISD. What were you making when you were there? Um, all just like homework, basically. Yeah. Ill- illustration department homework. Yeah. I took classes in the painting department. Um, but yeah, it, and in hindsight, it was really a bummer because like, I was so focused on like sustainability when I got out mm-hmm. because of loans and everything that like, now I'm like, oh, I w- I'd love to learn blacksmithing. But, like, that's impossible now. Right. Not that it's impossible, but it's so unlikely that I could, like, get off the train to, like, spend money on something like that. Yeah. Make time for it from, like, whatever to, like, learn blacksmithing. Yeah. Um, Or glass blowing, or, like, all these things that were so readily available, even with, like, interdepartmental, like, bureaucracies and, like, whatever. But, like, I could have done that. Yeah. And I was so focused on like how to make this work when I got out that I didn't do any of that it was really want to learn how to paint the figure as well as I could and I wanted to learn how to like start an illustration career yeah I guess in one sense it's good because you at that age you get focused like you have yeah it's like you really dive deep into something but I feel like school is a little bit like kind of wasted on the youth in a way because like when I was young I think now, if I went back to school as an undergraduate student, I would learn, I would just take it all in. Yeah. Like, because you don't get, or at least in my experience, like, the older you get, the more you want to learn things, you know? Totally. It's like, I remember growing up, my dad was really into history, but especially as I got older, he got more and more into history. Uh-huh. And he would take us on, like, vacations where we drive up and down the East Coast and go to Civil War sites. Right. Which sucked. It was yeah. the war. <laughs> like, I don't care about General Cornwallis. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's like as you get older, you, you become more thirsty for knowledge or like yeah. a, a wider range of things. You become more interested in different things. And I feel like if you, if you just waited until you were like 40 years old to go to college, right. you could really get a lot out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just <laughs> save up. Not that I didn't. I don't know. I, I did get a lot out of it. No, you do. But, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like no, to course. your point, there's so much available. There's so many resources. And I think... When you're younger, you're just not maybe, you know, up for diversifying all and yeah, and no, of course, yeah. That. There's so much, yeah. There's pressure in weird ways that are nothing compared to the pressures of real life. But at the time, yeah. they seem uh, seem important. Yeah, that's true. Those are two different two yeah. different paths. <laughs> Homework's your only real responsibility. Yeah, but it did it did really kind of pan out for where I wound up because the at the time the way that you would 
kind of start your illustration career was through editorial because mm -hmm. that was like the lowest paying so they were uh, more willing to give those jobs to people they didn't know so you would go I would go a lot of times with Joe Hart because mm -hmm. he was kind of similar uh, similar game plan and we'd go to Borders and take every magazine off the shelves and divide them up and go through the masthead of yeah. everyone and write down who the art directors right. were and the design directors. And you'd take the address of the magazine, mm -hmm. then you'd print a postcard and you'd send like a thousand of these postcards out. And if one person called you, that was like a success. Yeah. And it was so much, and like the nature of it just put all of like your dreams into like <laughs> putting that stamp on the card. So you'd be sitting yeah. there like the whole time was just this setup for this basically miserable failure. But that, ingrained like such a thick skin mm -hmm. that like when I did want to kind of go more to what I do now there was no nothing was personal like I didn't care that I wasn't getting shows or that like I'd do a studio visit and that wouldn't turn into anything yeah. like where so many fine artists that like studied with those expectations when they got out of school we get so worked up about it yeah it was nice to not give a shit or to not be disappointed or like to be more realistic I don't know it's like rejection shock you didn't yeah. get that and I knew nothing like now I know so much kind of about like the inner workings of like gallery relationships and why artists this or that right. but like at the time I knew nothing about it and it just wasn't disappointing because of this other like yeah backwards training right well that's an advantage to it have it was that. really nice like yeah I always yeah I talk about that a lot because it really, yeah, it was, while it was so unrelated, it really was great. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I guess that's something organically that, I mean, it's different for every artist, but you understand as you go through certain artists are chosen for certain projects because of this and that. And you get to know all these, yeah. the, the backstory of why certain things happen. And it becomes less, like, soul crushing if you're, you know. Yeah not this or that or not accepted into this or that or you don't get this grant or you don't get that show and you don't really worry about it too much you're just like oh well certain yeah, things will just, line up and, it isn't know. a reflection of the work necessarily no. where yeah it's it's not a meritocracy yeah. and i think as a young artist like you think it is that like each time something doesn't pan out that that's because the work isn't good or something like that yeah that's why I love soccer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you either are on that field doing well and score goals or yeah. not, and there's not really a lot of yeah. BS around it. It's nice all, to have a little... sports, kind of. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, there's something really... I mean, imagine tennis. Yeah. It's you. No one else. Yeah. I mean, your coach isn't even on the court. Nope. You know, he's up in a... He, like, waves to you once in a while and it's just you versus them yeah have you ever read uh infinite jest no actually i haven't it's hard to get through but the sort of idiosyncrasies of being alone against the world uh -huh. as, a, as a tennis player i thought it's interesting yeah because as an artist it's you it's your voice and no one else's oh totally and yeah i mean even with all the gallery support in the world like we're on our own oh yeah day. that's like, that's support in one or in the arena of how the work gets out there yeah but at the end of the day you're making these things and they're talking to the public and then they go on to you know it's kind of like they're out there on their own and it's just you and yeah i mean that's that's 
part of the reason too I love collaborating is because I feel like it does enable a little bit of that back in like when I was in a band it was always frustrating because you're you have certain people's schedules you know right and you've got certain gigs that you have to get or like booking agents all that other stuff and uh, what was nice about transitioning from that and then just being in the studio all the time is like I set my schedule I work right. as hard as I want to work and it's not up to anyone else you know yeah that makes yeah I've never been in a band but I that makes sense yeah so well when you got out and you started going through all those magazines and sending your stuff out there were you hitting at all like were you getting some games a little or? bit yeah it was funny um I did. I did okay, I'd say. And I had a job. I had a job three days a week that was pretty great. In the city? I know, in hindsight. Yeah, in Times Square. I worked in Times Square for 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, it's crazy. That's a commute. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, definitely not enough to live on or close to it, but it was also a really strange time for illustration where digital stuff was taking over a lot um it was just really hard even for like well-known well-established illustrators to kind of do what they were doing let alone break into it yeah so i kind of would like i did okay winning like awards and stuff like all the there's all these little stepping stones that you think are going to like help turn it over commercially and like i would get some of those but never really turned over. And I also, like, it was kind of derivative of other illustrators' work. Like, I was just at this point where I was making... But, and, and the people I really looked up to in that world kind of towed a line of, like, fine art and illustrative work. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of its whole own genre, you yeah. know? And those were the people I really liked. Um... So I was kind of making like non-commercially viable illustration, but like also just horrible art, like trying to like use my time to like thread the needle of something I could use for both. And it just sucked. Did you feel that kind of that you were in between and you were falling through the crack of that? In hindsight, yeah. In hindsight, it kind of felt like grabbing it grabbing for something at all times like I thought it was good but like something was always kind of off now that I have like a a practice that makes sense to me like now I can see it pretty clearly but yeah it just like wasn't working but other people thought it was Mm -hmm. you know like from the outside it might look like it was but it just wasn't but you didn't you didn't feel like you're doing like this is one of meant to do like this feels right no when I would get jobs I really liked it because there'd be like really fast turnaround and Mm -hmm. I liked reading a text and interpreting that into like an image and that felt great like I really liked doing the job when I was able to do it Mm -hmm. but it wasn't happening enough like if I had been able to make money at it maybe it would have turned out differently but like it wasn't not fulfilling when I got gigs but it just, I just wasn't very good at it, really. Like, it's not what I was meant to do. Yeah. Um, and that's not your talent. That's more the process of it, right? Kind of, yeah, I think. Or did you feel like what you were making just didn't fit with anyone? You know kind, what I mean? kind of that, yeah. yeah. Or like somebody else could do it better and was. So they were getting the gigs. 
not even that. Like, I could slip through the cracks, but just looking at it, like, existentially, it's yeah. like, yeah, why do that? When, like, those three people would do something that's clearly great for this purpose. Right. Like, so that's where I wound up, like, having this three-day-a-week job, nominally successful at this illustration thing, and slowly starting to get in shows and galleries, and just kind of... Um, was like, why don't I just feel this out? Like, take a year and just work in the studio and see what happens. Keep this job, not worry about quitting this job, and then see what happens. Where was your studio at that point when you were working in Times Square? Uh, Greenpoint. Okay. It was first. It was out of my house, and then I got one in Greenpoint. So the all the while you're you're working on your own stuff. Yeah. And yeah. since you didn't quote unquote like go to art school for painting or sculpture or you know did you what was your progression of your work happening over the course of that time it's pretty uh it's pretty clear to me where like um it went from being very specific narrative pictures Mm -hmm. to really open-ended narrative pictures to the backgrounds becoming more interesting than the figurative elements it's kind of like the figures turned into architecture turned into just the background yeah all the while almost always like some collage technique Mm -hmm. being used and then i kind of went straight into oil painting but then i found a way to like use collage and painting to kind of make the things more interesting so now it really makes total sense to me to like look at these paintings and then look at like an illustration about like the devil or whatever from yeah. whenever and it no and most people wouldn't know but there's like a touch and like a feel and like an arrangement that still makes total sense to me right so kind of yeah that's like how it happened really so when you were still working that job in Times Square and you started having your studio were you kind of like working hard to get in shows or were you making connections how did that side of things work because I imagine you're spending a lot of time just you know or were you still pound, like pounding the payment for illustration gigs? Not really. It's it kind of became not. You're just like, well, I'm just working. This is going to yeah. pay some bills, and then the, that sort of extra time you're working on your work. Yeah, yeah. So that must have been liberating in a way, because then you're spending a little less time like chasing that that job or that that illustration yeah. know, gig, and then you can just work in the studio. Yeah, it was, but then and it took like there was an adjustment period for sure. But um, yeah. But you, at this point, are you going out to galleries a lot and seeing what's going on? Are you interested um, in, you know? Yeah, like through like when friends would have shows, I would go to that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint like when, when that kind of changed. Yeah, and the community that you had, like your friends and the people that you were, you know, that you would go out to shows with, were those RISD people, those people from before? Yeah, almost, almost entirely, even now. No, not now, but yeah, it was a really slowly, organically growing kind of circle of people that were either at RISD and I was close with or that I knew and became closer with, kind of through, through that, really. Yeah, it was a big community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when was your first, when did you have your first show? Show. Um, 
I'd have to look at probably 2004. Mm-hmm. Maybe, no, maybe 2006. Yeah, I'd say 2006. I did a show at Envoy. Uh-huh. Did you feel like that was impending or like, oh, shit, I got a show and um, now... By that point, I knew that I wanted to like have, a, have an art show, yeah. you know? Um, I didn't have any idea how that would happen or... Oh, I did a show, that was my first show in the city, but I did a show with Sarah Nightingale in Watermill mm-hmm. before that. But that even kind of happened like so backwards. That wasn't like working towards a show. It was like she came over and liked the work and then was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put put these in my gallery. Like, yeah. And then she did, she brought it to like an art fair and someone saw it there. And that led to meeting Jimmy from Mm -hmm. Envoy. And that, that was like working towards a show. And was that a good, was that like a different approach once you had that, that sort of like target of like, okay, I have a show, it's going to open at this point. Did you start thinking about building that work differently or were you just working piece to piece at that point? It's never been piece to piece. It's always been lots of things at once and mm-hmm. then assigning them a role. And I think even, even now really, well now it's a little, no, that's not true. Now it's pretty conceived of as like in the space, but um, I guess it wasn't that different, which I never thought about till right now. But no, it's just like I'm gonna work, and then we'll see what goes together. What? Yeah. I guess it wasn't. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's something like when I first came to the city and I was working, I was just making paintings. Yeah, that's. And I didn't even think I was gonna have. You know, I knew eventually I'd love to have a show or whatever, but I didn't know it was gonna happen when it did. And I just kind of put together like, oh, here's the seven latest things I've done here's yeah. a show yeah here's my you know? favorite seven things and ever since then when I had like a show I knew it was going to be a show and then I would work and a lot of times it's thematic like of yeah. an idea I'm just into something at that time and then that becomes what the show's about and I am consistently like wax poetic about not knowing or just making a group of work that is seemingly unrelated it's related right. but it's not like for a show but I, for these days it's just it, it becomes packaged or it's like, okay, yeah, this is no, my I'd idea. Say, yeah. This is what I'm into. I'd say the same thing for sure. And there are, um, and it's shifted over time and there are artists, I think, that are so good at showing like eclectic things mm-hmm. in a space and it makes such a great show. But for me, it doesn't really. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just more, I think it works better. Because I definitely have, like, a couple different bodies of work going on at any time that, like, when... And it happened over time, really, where they used to integrate really well, and now they kind of, like, have to be segregated or it just looks like a mess. Yeah. But, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Well, since we're in this space with your work up, yeah. why don't you walk me through the, the genesis and the, the final, you know, install of this show because okay. it involves painting and installation and sculpture well it's sculpture wouldn't you say you know uh, it's mixed media yeah right? I guess I'd call this just installation I wouldn't really call that a sculpture but yeah it is sculptural um, and I do make sculptures but I didn't include any in this show so this happened um, well kind of an ongoing thing is just the genesis of the work and each body of work coming from itself Mm -hmm. in a way 
And so the last body of work was a similar technique, but kind of there are more all over compositions and um, like the ones in that show that you curated. Yeah. And that they were kind of a response to the materials that I was working with on their own. And then I kind of, I felt like that body of work could keep going, but it felt like it was time to kind of push it out. Like it was getting a little, there were some crutches to lean on if mm -hmm. I needed to. And I really felt like it needed a kick. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Like I thought about like wanting them to be more pictorial, more about composition, but I didn't want to just start designing like huge shapes with the materials just to make them like different. And then I did this floor installation with one big painting in Toronto last year. And the light came through the window, like he had big window that had like really like straight sunbeams coming through the window and it bounced off the floor and made these crazy shapes on the wall. And I was like, okay, that I could do something with. That like little thing. I was like, okay, well that could kind of, let's check that out. So I started by projecting those shapes and tracing them in the fabric and painted materials that I was used to working with and moving those around. And then where the previous body work I think is all about, or it's all, it's all abstract with like some recognizable things and your brain wants to find recognizable things in it. So people see them as aerial views or as like a slab of marble or something as much as just pure abstraction. Yeah where these start from reality, like they start from photographs essentially. And I think that that pushes like recognizable space into them in a way that the other work didn't. So it's kind of the reverse where starting from reality and like then you see them as abstractions. Yeah, you flipped so that, it. Yeah, so that was fun and it felt like a good a good thing to explore and so the installation element is actually the floor from that floor installation just pushed up onto the wall and that that's kind of an ongoing thing for me where like these things get built up into sculptures and then flattened and then torn up and there's just that like it's this kind of ongoing cycle of like up and down and flat and then sometimes photographed and printed and made into a book and sometimes cut up and made into a painting and sometimes the stuff that doesn't work in the painting gets put into a cube that becomes a sculpture mm -hmm. so this kind of um it's almost like navel gazing but uh it's just a nice kind of thread pulling way to keep working and keep getting excited about things yeah that all feels uh, like a genuine exploration so it's not like and for my next act it will right. be paintings of this yeah. it's just a nice way to kind of keep working and keep getting excited about things yeah. and I like the word generative too because they feel like they're all kind of coming up from one space where they're bleeding into each other and it feels like there's floor in these there's wall there's like scraps of this scraps of that like you're, it's all kind of being brought yeah. together. You know, they're individual pieces, but it's all happening simultaneously, and it feels like they bleed into each other. And I think that's the materiality of it. And that also kind of to your point about conceiving things as like in a space. Since these came from light, I would 
the paintings are all similar and the shapes are similar, but they shift scale and they move around on the rectangle. But that to me was a way when installed here, we kind of nod to how like light moves over one singular space, like over the course of a day. So you're kind of, you can find your place amongst them and they kind of move around and you're like, oh, that's the shame shape is over there. Like, so it, it has like a touch to the natural world that was nice and kind of new for me. Yeah, it's, it's natural. Like even with the earlier work that you were talking about, like I, the pieces that were natural, I love the kind of glacial feel to them. Yeah. It was just, they felt cold and frozen. Yeah. And like in these immediately, my brain, these brains do this, like I saw the lips. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, there's lips in a couple of these pieces. And then the lips in this one, I just now started to see the plant. Yeah. It's like a potted plant. And then I was like, oh, maybe those are leaves. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like you move back and forth between. And I used to have a real issue with that because to me they're just abstraction. But no, now I like that it's like yeah. there's something to grab onto right. other than the history of abstract painting. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, so influence, like it feels like this is all, like I'm saying, like you're just like this lab in your studio that you have, and it's all just kind of been built up from all these materials. Yeah. What about influence? I mean, is it, is it something that, that weighs at all in the process? Not really. It's pretty, um, it's just like in my DNA, and these are a really good example of like, I never particularly liked Kandinsky or like studied Moreau, but these, once I looked at them, I was like, oh, well, now we're kind of totally in modernism here, like where the last body of work felt very like 50s and 60s, like, and those I did kind of want to make all over compositions and knew that they would kind of have a place with like Pollock or Klein or whatever, or Clifford Still. Yeah. Um, but these then felt like they went back 20 years mm -hmm. to those guys, which I never sought to do. Yeah. But it's funny, because I do study painting a lot, to see that. It was a nice surprise. And it was uncomfortable at first, because I was like, whoa, these are kind of like not what I want to do. But like I'm in dialogue with people that I'm not necessarily that intrigued by? Or, no, you know, I, lo I love it, but it just wasn't... I was worried it could feel dated or yeah. like that it could feel decorative or like any of these things. But, but then, I mean, really what I do is I just like work the thing until it feels like what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And that was like with this, the first few I made were like directly projecting those photographs of those reflections and cutting those shapes out mm -hmm. and kind of staying true to the way it was composed in the camera. Mm -hmm. And they just sucked. Like they did exactly what I wanted them to do, but it wasn't interesting. And so I just then took those shapes and moved them around until they became kind of what I see the painting supposed to be. Yeah. And that's kind of like just what what it all ends up being, like working on it something until it feels natural I was to me. Say, do you feel like there's like an honesty you earn honesty in the process? I guess that's like a that's a poetic way to put it. Well, you know, it's but yeah, thing. no. Like, when I was in There's a way it should be in my in in my like inner dialogue. There's a way it should be, and until it's there, like I don't let it leave. Yeah, but I think too intrinsically when you do something like early on in 
in school, I feel like my paintings wore the influences. Right. Like um, you could yeah. see it and it was frustrating because yes, I was interested in this this artist and that artist and there was a lot of other people I was interested in. It just like revealed itself visually totally. as in line with those. But I feel like the longer you work, you know, it's just your own voice comes out of that process. It's like if you keep doing your thing, you're grinding, you're grinding, and sooner or later it just becomes you. And your influences get kind of buried or they're not quite so apparent. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. No, that's really true. And I could totally pinpoint every one of my influences along the way in other bodies of work. Yeah. And sometimes it's intentional. And sometimes it's like an attempt at some kind of send up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, over time, not really. Yeah. Like, like the last body, I really liked how it looked like abstract expressionism, but that that time period was so tied into like medium specificity and that being like really a central part of it. But I was, I basically am using garbage to like make yeah. these things and how much that would fuck, like drive Clifford still crazy. Like, <laughs> right. even though it's like, got a similar presence and like introduction visually but really is about not being precious yeah. and not being this macho thing right. but I love those guys yeah. so at the same time it's I don't know it's a culmination of growing up in these subcultures that we started out talking about and just now where it's almost like taken for granted but I did a show in Amsterdam last year, and people thought it was like crazy that I was used, yeah, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, like I totally take for granted that they're not oil on canvas, yeah. but people there like really thought it was kind of, it was a big, yeah, like, whoa, that's straight, yeah, and I was like, hey, what about Robert Rauschenberg? Like, this is old news. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I mean, Rembrandt's Night Watch is right down the street. Right. So it kind of, then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's pretty pretty different yeah maybe if you just refer to it as like repurposed materials and not garbage right <laughs> well and yeah when, when not in casual interviews I, right. do, I do but, but well, there was something you said for you know that of using that you know I picture your studio well do you only have one studio or do you work in different I have places? kind of have two I have one in Greenpoint is my main one but then the last few years I've been really lucky that um some collectors in East Hampton have a barn on their adjacent property and they let me use that to work in. So was that informed that work at all? Just, it, is it, the environment important to the work or does it bleed into it? Um, yeah, when you're in there, it's like kind of a nightmare mess of like, it all looks like the same. The painting looks just like the floor. Yeah. It looks like everything climbing up the walls. Um, and the studio out there actually isn't so much like that. And it, but it was really, really uh, great for developing the sculpture stuff. Yeah. Like I had been making these small scale like cube sculptures in my studio in Greenpoint, but just the nature of plaster and concrete and working in a smaller space like could only do so much. But mm -hmm. out there, like the original plan for this barn was either to tear it down or to like have someone come in and disassemble it for to take it somewhere. So I was able to just really make a mess of like concrete and plaster. Yeah. And that let me build those things into what they should be, mm -hmm. basically. So that, that, this year it changed a little 
and I just made uh, this large painting and some other paintings in there. But, um, yeah. I imagine that's nice, too, because in the city, I feel like the, the lead-up to where you work is important sometimes. Like, and, you know, you're going, let's say you're going to make these sculptures with all this ephemera that's in the studio, and it's kind of like, it's not like you're bringing in five ingredients and then you're right. making a sculpture out of it. You're coming in and working in that space, but you're coming in from all that construction and all the yeah. buildings. But out in Long Island, it's like you, you're, there's space and air. And then you go into this larger space and then build these sculptures. I'd imagine that's kind of a nice change of pace. It is. It's amazing. And just, yeah, like having the door open. It's really, really nice. I did it. I mean, I've never really been out on Long Island at all, really. And um, a few years back, I did the, I think it was the last summer of the Eisler Studio. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. And I had this giant studio. Yeah, in one of those old carriage houses. Yeah, Yeah. I've always worked in small studios. I've Uh never had a big studio. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. It was too much space. Yeah. (laughs) And the the garage door thing opened up. Yeah. And it was right by the beach, and there was all this space. Yeah. Like a playground, and I did the play in, and it was like 50 yards away. it was like paradise. It yeah. Was, but it, it was weird to me because I've just never had that studio outside of uh, an urban area and I've never it's, had like that much space. I think um, it's kind of back to the tunnel vision thing where like honestly like I enjoy it most just for its like pleasantries. Yeah. Like I don't know how much <laughs> it affects aside from being able to develop those sculptures with making this show it really was similar to how i was working in winter in greenpoint like just trying to flesh out these paintings yeah but the door is open and you can go outside well that's the thing people don't see they just see the show when it pops up but yeah things like being able to clear your mind once in a while has it's it's important for us yeah <laughs> to for sanity's sake yeah you know and just being able to like yeah. breathe as a like mentally breathe you yeah, know because things get so busy and so crazy. I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like I ever get that chance, except for when I'm working. Like, when, when I can have, like, a solid 10-hour day in studio, yeah. like, that does it. Those are amazing. That's how, yeah. And they know, don't like, happen that much anymore. <laughs> At yeah. least for me, they don't happen that much. Things change when you have a family. I know, I know. But that's really, yeah, like, I can have the most stressful shit going on with, like, the gallery or my stuff or the kids, and, like, when you fall into that working that really just clears it yeah like and that happens with or without a like nice garage door to open up yeah. to a beautiful property right um, no it's just that it's the zone i yeah. always talk about like after like hour two or three in the studio if you have for me i have music on and it's like everything else melts away yep and i can't meditate that way like i can't do it via other means like i have to be in my studio just almost to the point to where I know what I'm working on now. It's not deciding. It's not the genesis part of it. It's like as I'm yeah. working on a painting, that mindless kind of mm-hmm. zone out is is pure bliss. That yeah, you it's just, like yeah, it's the best thing. Yeah, I don't think I wonder if other people get that. That's why other I think people artists. with like day jobs can be so miserable. Or maybe that's yeah, why that's maybe Netflix never, is never there. happened pushing SpongeBob around <laughs> in Quirk Express over <laughs> Times Square. 
Yeah, you don't have that. You just want to get the hell out of there as fast. I, my first job when I came to the city was working windows at Macy's. Oh, really? And I was doing That's the production true. side of it. So, uh-huh. But it was just, I could not wait for that day to end. Go home, eat spaghetti, and then paint. Yeah. Know, into the hours of night, wake up, same thing over and over again. But you didn't get that time during yeah. the day, you know? No, those like long stretch. It's like almost, yeah, like doesn't count otherwise. Yeah. There's but certain I, things, like, I don't know, my work is, hasn't, now definitely doesn't have, like, beginning, middle, end, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, that's the only way that, like, that, like, piecemeal studio time works is when there is, like, beginning, middle, end, yeah. like, so you're like, okay, I can go in and, like, paint this seven inches or whatever today, mm-hmm. and it takes no thinking, like, but now it's, like... I guess now, once these are, like, kind of composed, there's, like, some cutting and some, like, fabricating elements of them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there were a few months in the winter that, like, if it wasn't that, they just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, your, curata- your curating and, like, that side of things. Because uh-huh. that's, like, I would imagine that's a big part of what you're spending your time doing and, yeah. and working yeah so how is tell us about your the gallery that you you run and in that process alongside um, of doing this at the same yeah. time it's uh, people think i don't know where to begin it's it's both totally related and totally not related mm-hmm. where I'm not someone who I consider it part of my practice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really a separate entity that I enjoy for like a multitude of reasons. Like I like running a small business. I like seeing that side of the art world and how it operates. But I think the tendency is to think that that feeds into the work when it's almost the opposite. No, like, I would think the work's an escape. Yeah. yeah. And... It, um, the main thing I've learned is that there's no way to kind of predict market things. Mm-hmm. There's no saleable painting. Like the only thing that makes something easy to sell is like a good auction result that yeah. week. Name brand. Yeah. Right. But even name brand is hard. Like right. if you're not the main gallery for the name brand or yeah. like or if it's in between shows or like the only, like really the only thing is like certain windows and then it's just like it's work like anything else it's educating yourself on the work and like believing in it and and I just love putting together art shows and I love doing things on behalf of other artists yeah. and so in that way they're related in that I wasn't kind of to be an artist today there definitely is an element of branding involved I think mm-hmm. And I've never been interested in, like, being a quasi-celebrity or, like, playing that role. But because I run this gallery and work with what I think are great artists and get to meet great collectors, it's helped, like, kind of general awareness about me. Yeah. And that has helped kind of get it out there or whatever or get my, like, name out there or whatever. And it works both ways. Certain collectors, I think, are just like, oh, no, he's a dealer. I'm not going to take that art seriously. Yeah. And certain collectors are like, oh, wow, his work's great. I'll take his program and their program more seriously. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of don't care. Like, yeah. And I don't talk about myself in the gallery. And I try not to talk about the gallery, like, 
in my shows. Outside of that, yeah. It, and it happens both ways all the time. Like, people come in and ask a question, I'm not going to be like, yeah. But um, I just really enjoy it as, like, it's been really nice to see, to spend time in shows other than your own for prolonged periods of time. Mm -hmm. And it just feels great, like, selling a painting for someone who's a friend of yours. And, yeah. like... The gallery, I was actually talking to Chris about it on the way in, about how, like, from the outside looking in, it might look like something. It's funny, like, talking about earlier about how uh, the art world can seem so, like, clicky or, like, uh, I don't know. There's, it can seem so many things. But it really was just, we opened the gallery because no one was going to show our friends in East Hampton. Yeah. And it's slowly, the circle has like expanded. Like you meet people from working with this person, from that person, and it's just been fun to like put these things forth. Mm -hmm. And from the outside, it might look like, oh, they're showing this because it's, that's cool or that's a big artist. But it yeah. really is just a place to like put on shows that we want to see. And I think that that is actually a sustainable business model. Right. That now when we see the market, market things like come and go. But I think if you just do interesting shows long term, that works. Yeah. If you can develop collector relationships. But like we never, um, we didn't see money from the whole boom that kind of just was. Yeah. We did well, but we've, we haven't like sold out many shows or like, so now we're still doing well, even though it's supposedly dead. Yeah. Cause it's, you, you probably, people feel that you have, you know, a certain vision and certain people that you believe in and they're, if they're interested in the people that you're showing, they're going to be interested in no matter yeah. you know, what that, the ups and downs are to an extent, you know? Yeah. And that's, I don't know. God, there's so many avenues that this can take. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even know where to. I guess I'm most interested in about, to be honest, um, as, you know, as an artist who, like, I spend a long time when I first started showing, which was like the late 90s. Yeah. Into um, fairly recently, like, if, you know, a few years ago, like five or six years ago, basically, like, in my studio and almost like a hermit, yeah. you know? And right. um, I, I've, I've been revitalized in a way in the last handful of years, both by having a kid and, like, involving socially in the world. Okay, yeah. No, this is... <laughs> and then having friends who are artists that I've known all along. Like, I've, I've had a bunch of friends. But reconnecting and getting back in the studios yeah. and feeling that sense of community, you know, and and being able to, I think there's a real value in that. And, you know, the structure of the art world is set up for, it's a business, you know, yeah. but the structure of an artist community is really important because it enables you to, to have a voice, to have um, sounding boards in times when it is difficult, in times when it's great, you know, but... And I think it also builds in sustainability. Yes. Which, and this is, that's another major thing for the galleries. Like, so right now I have like my big once every two year show in New York. Mm -hmm. And like, when you're not engaged in a community or in something else, there's like 
post-show depression is like brutal whether yeah. it sells out or sells nothing like it's quiet yeah yeah but i went straight from this to three days later we opened a show yeah. on henry street and it's just like i don't have time to like focus on myself and like my needs as much yeah and it just yeah it feels really good putting on shows and being an advocate for artists that you believe in and i think a lot of the, and also a lot of the artists that we show do similar things where chris has his publishing company mm -hmm. Joe Hart's also doing a podcast now. Denise did apartment show forever. Like Patrick's always curated shows. Like Glenn had Fourth Estate. It's like that interests me. That yeah. like when it's not so much about me, me, me. Well, that's the thing. It's it. You know, there's it's bigger than just your own practice. But if that's the only thing you have, and you've yeah. kind of cut yourself off, then you're gonna have that. I would imagine you're gonna have that post show like letdown or, you know, oh now what do I do? Yeah. Whereas if you're just involved and you're engaged in other people's lives and having that conversation or discussion, whether it's visual or literal discussions. And you're just you're in, energized. The, in the world talking to human beings, yes. too. Yeah, like, it's important. Which I had, I mean, I always had a job um, that I took for granted and thought I hated, but I'm totally someone who will just isolate in the studio yeah. for as long as possible and not do anything else. Like, I love working. And so, but that almost to the detriment of the work itself. Right. Where, because you just run in these circles over and over, but like having to get out and work, and since I care about the people who I'm promoting, I'm not going to let it slide. Yeah. So like I have to dive into this, I have to get out there for them, which means I have to talk to other people, which means I have to talk with collectors or curators or whatever. And that's just healthy. Yeah. That it's not all like your children abusing you and then right. working, working <laughs> nonstop. Yeah. Um, well, I think that I do that too. I think it's part of the reason I, I make an effort to do things like this yeah. or like to curate as it. Otherwise I would be a hermit and totally. I know it's not good for me. Yeah. So it's, it's really rewarding to just, or, or it just puts you in this position as an artist. That's like, because, like, a lot of times artists are like, what should I do? Like, do I need to go to these openings to, like, and it's like, what? To, like, get yourself a shit. Like, I just can't stand yeah. going out there and being like, oh, I'm here pretending to be supporting this thing. Right. But it's just because I want your attention. And like, yeah. But it does take so much self-promotion as an artist. So it's just been a nice, natural way to kind of do that on behalf of other people and, like, subtly have it bring attention so not feel like I'm neglecting my responsibilities right. to the galleries that support me and yeah and it just I mean so many great artists are weeded out just because they don't want to play the game yeah and I don't begrudge anyone <laughs> for right that. right yeah yeah I mean it's like if you can find a, pro a productive outlet to stay engaged in the community and yeah. not it'd be like you're saying hey I'm at the opening yeah how's it going man you know and that that kind of desperation of feeling like you need to get out there. Yeah. But it is important to have that community, you know. It totally is. And I feel like teaching is another thing that, like, you're, con you're in a position to meet the next generation of artists, yeah. which keeps you relevant, which keeps... Energized. Yeah. For me, you know. Yeah. Seeing people coming up with new ideas and having energy and wanting to, you know... And the whole thing is basically a marathon of just, like, staying relevant. Because, like, we all go through, like, peaks and valleys of, mm -hmm. like, popularity or, like, monetary success. Like that's Attention. Built. Just people yeah, are attention. Like, 
and built and, into this. So the more like community you have, the more chance of survival you have, really. Yeah. Assuming that we're all geared to make art forever, right? Which is built into me, I think. Yeah. Well, I think the that's one of if there is an advantage to all this structure, it's it weeds out the people who yeah. aren't in it for the long haul. Yeah. Totally. Because it's not a easy run of it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, no, it's not really set up for longevity. <laughs> but it, I don't know. It almost does feel like natural selection kind of plays its role. And the yeah. more you're around, you can see like, oh yeah, that's contrived. Like, okay, this might not be my thing, but that's a real artist. Like, yeah. Well, that's what I, and part of the reason I, I like talking to artists is because I feel like it's a productive way to have a dialogue that hopefully some people who aren't here in New York or yeah. aren't in LA can feel like they're getting a dialogue too. You know what I yeah. mean? Like no, that they totally, can yeah. think about it differently than just like reviews and whatever yeah. magazine. Yeah. Because it's deeper than that. You know, there's more stories to be told than just like that response to whatever we're doing. Yeah. You know? The like finished product response yeah. and, and review of finished product. It's the idealist in me. Yeah, it's true though. I mean, yeah. So, um, what's what's on the horizon? Um, I mean, you have this. So, have this. how long is the show? I'm gonna, you know, we'll try to get this up as soon as possible because I want people to to see the show. I have to look here. I think it's. <laughs> I get all the dates of our shows and my shows confused. I don't even know what day it is today. This I get is, today's this is up date confused. October fifteenth. October fifteenth. Nice. That's a good amount of time. Yeah, so. it's a nice run. At Susan Inglet Gallery. Yes. On 24th Street. I'm guessing it's 525, 535. 524. 520, not bad, right? Yeah. 524. Yeah. Are you going to back check? I'm going to back check that. <laughs> 524. 522. Five, oops. 522 West 24th Street. Correct. And then if people want to go out to Long Island, where do they find you? The gallery is at 79 Newtown Lane in East Hampton, New York. It's called Halsey McKay. And we also have a small space on Henry Street in New York now, where we have a David Smith show. Was that 90? 56 Henry Street. 56 Henry. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) And at the gallery now, we have Annalise Cost solo show and a Ben Blatch solo show. Nice. That are both really great. Cool. All three are great. Well, everyone should come see this show and check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me in here on a rainy Monday. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. fun. Cool. Thanks. All right.